Industrial revolution is happening now. Trying to make sense of the B2B technology, strategies, and trends that will be key to success? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Moonshot Exec. Here's your host, Kevin Pritchett. All right, all right, all right. Fantastic. This is Moonshot Exec, and I'm Kevin Pritchett. Welcome to my podcast, and I'm extremely honored again to have you share your precious time with me. If after you listen to this podcast, you'd like to subscribe, please go to my website, moonshotexec.com, to sign up for the email list, as well as subscribe to the podcast. You can also search Moonshot Exec on iTunes and now Google Play. This podcast continues my broadcast from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, held the 21st and 22nd of January here in Vancouver. With over 8,000 attendees this year, the conference is the world's largest conference dedicated to resource and mining exploration. In this episode, I spoke with Christopher Grove, President and a Director of Commerce Resources Corporation. Commerce Resources is an exploration and development company with a particular focus on deposits of rare earth elements and rare metals. The company is specifically focused on the development of its Ashram Rare Earth Project at the Eldor property in Quebec and its Upper Fur Tantalum and Niobium deposit at the Blue River Project in British Columbia. Christopher and I had a fantastic conversation about the state of the rare earth market, the criticality of bringing up more diverse sources, and advances in battery technology involving niobium, which heretofore had mostly been used as a steel additive. I hope you enjoy. Here's some wisdom from a key market player. Wisdom. Chris Grove, who is president and director of Commerce Resources Corporation. So, can you sort of mention a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here in Vancouver, where we have our head office. Uh, I've been in the business uh, and with Commerce Resources for 14 years now. I was a shareholder in one of the seed financing rounds in 1999. Uh, there is a little family history in this business, uh, coming more from the promotional side. Uh, my father was uh, with a group called the Ray Torreson and Associates, which did all the PR for uh, Robert Friedland uh, oh, yeah. prior to Voices Bay and all through Voices Bay. Right. My brother-in-law was the original president of Commerce Resources, and he threw me the keys to the car uh, four years ago. And uh, I am very excited to be working uh, on the two deposits that we have uh, huge resources on because at the end of the day, it all comes back to the rocks. And right. these are two very good deposits of very good rocks. Right. And chatting with you, the rocks, they rock, I think. <laughs> I know that's cheesy, but I mean, tell us about the rocks that you produce. Or Very what much. you want to produce, yes. Very much. Yeah. And, and, and at the end of the day, what you want to do typically is you want to not have to you know, do some earth-shattering new technological innovations. You don't want to have to re-split the atom or, you know, create a new wheel. You know, so what, was, what has been one of the guiding principles, especially for our rare earth element project, is figure out what was in production 
and then figure out or go and look for that style of deposit, which is exactly what we did. Right. It did take us five years to find something that we believe is comparable to the world's largest rare earth element producing mines, right. but we found that in 2010, and lo and behold, that's why we have such great economics uh, at this point in time. Okay. Well, just to step back a bit for people who aren't familiar about rare earths, can you just sort of briefly say where are they used in? I know you know, but just to let people briefly know what are rare earth and, and what are they used in in terms of products? Sure. Rare earth elements are, uh, are the essential ingredients to make permanent magnets. Yes. And so the dominant style of magnet being produced today is a rare earth element magnet. Right. And then those magnets are found in every electric motor, basically. Right. Whether it's your Stanley Black & Decker electric cordless drill, right. or it's your Prius, or it's your uh, Chevy Bolt, right. or it's your Tesla. Yes. So Tesla, somewhat quietly in the new series announced that they were going to switch from their AC induction motor, which does not use rare earth elements, right. and they are switching to a DC permanent magnet motor, which does use rare earth elements. Right. So the, those rare earth element magnets are used in everything from wind turbines, uh, robots, uh, electric vehicles, and then, you know, uh, power tools. But the market for rare earth elements has continued to increase by about anywhere from three to seven percent per year for you know the last 15 years, right. and that increase in demand does not look like it's it's uh, tailing off. In actual fact, it is increasing, and uh, so that is part of the opportunity for us. Right now, one of the challenges in the rare earth market is that a lot of it comes from China. So in in a way, I mean, there's ample amounts, but then there's a precarious situation where you really have a really dominant supplier and there have been hiccups that have really sort of given users of rare earth pause, right? Absolutely, right. absolutely. You've hit on uh, one of the key things yeah. that an investor should be looking at yeah. and the reality is, is that historically China being firmly in the driver's seat back in 2010, right. uh, China literally stopped production to Japan, just stopped shipments, right. and globally the prices went absolutely ballistic. Right. So one of the key rare earth elements for magnet manufacture is called dysprosium, right. and dysprosium went from $100 a kilo in about six months to $3,000 a kilo. Wow. Now, the reality is, is that yes, the Chinese were the net beneficiaries of those higher prices, right. But the other thing is, is that any manufacturer who needs rare earth elements understands also very clearly that you, they can't depend upon China or they don't want to depend on China. Right. So the interest in a non-Chinese source for rare earth elements was incredibly intense, right. you know, seven, eight years ago, and it still is that intense today. Right. And so uh, the other side of it, though, is that the prices fell for six years. And so yes. it's only in the last year that prices have been allowed to appreciate. Right. Now, the reality is, is that people say, well, what if China, you know, decides to lower prices again? Right. Well, the other side of it is, is that China, over the last seven years, has been importing more feedstock. Right. including from 
North Korea. So this is one of the geopolitical things as these commodities also get wrapped up in. Right. So ultimately, uh, one of the cards that Kim Jong-un has in his deck is the fact that China is looking to him for rare earth element feedstock. Yes. And ultimately, that that colors the whole dynamic between the United States and China and North Korea. Right. And it's a very valuable card because at the end of the day, China is the biggest market for rare earth elements. Japan right. is the second biggest. Yes. Ultimately, though, those are the markets for the rare earth element raw materials. Right. So at the end of the day, who is the biggest market for finished products that have rare earth elements in them? The United States, the United of States. course. Right, right. So at the end of the day, you have this dynamic, and then you also have Japan caught in the mix. It's very, very interesting. And, and so to be really clear, when the prices started spiking up again in the summer of 2017, yes. we were contacted by many multi-billion dollar global majors including Samsung, right. and the language used by these companies was all the same. Yeah. We're concerned about the future supply of rare earth elements, and we do not want to have to rely upon China for our future supplies of rare earth elements. Right. So there is the opportunity for a non-Chinese source. That's fantastic. And so the sources that you have are based in Canada, right? So strategically, uh, from a supply perspective, is really appealing uh, to consumers of rare earths. So can you talk about the deposits that you have? Absolutely, uh, yeah. absolutely. So uh, the one deposit that we're focusing on is called the Ashram, Ashram Rare Earth Element Deposit. It's in Northern Quebec. Right. And it is a huge resource, which uh, in total, I should break it down for your listeners, right. but in it totals about 250 million tons right now. Wow. I mean, there is a small bit which is measured. I should actually say it technically so I don't get in trouble trouble yeah. with the, uh, uh, the commission. And, and in, yeah, by the way, we assume that there are disclaimers on forward-looking statements and all that. So. <laughs> exactly. No problem. But the bottom right. line is, is that we have 1.6 million tons in the measured category, 27.7 right. million tons in the inferred cat uh, indicated category, indicated, sorry, right. and 219 million tons in the inferred category. Right. Now, having said that, we also drilled about 10,000 meters of drilling since that last resource came out. And so we're very excited to calculate that right. and add that to the resource. Right. So this deposit as well is interesting because it is very, it is similar in all of the fundamentals yeah. to the dominant producers of rare earth elements in the world, which right. is to say the geology and the mineralogy are the same. Right. And, and you're specifically talking about Chinese suppliers, uh, the mines there yes. where I mean, one was 45 to 50% of the world supply yes. from China, one mine, basically. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, and again, given the criticality of these metals, I mean, there, there has to be some more, diver, some more diversification. Exactly of right. Supply sources. Exactly yeah. right. And, you know, for, for uh, to not get political at all, right. but to, to mention President Trump's uh, recent, uh, very quietly uh, released or signed executive orders on December 20th, there's two executive orders that, uh, and one of which is about the criticality of rare earth elements. Right. And my contacts in Washington, D.C. say this is a very significant event and has basically caused there to be a total reversal of policy in the U.S. government where they are 
much more anxious about finding a source of rare earth element supply that is non-Chinese yes. and that would come from a key ally. And arguably at the end of the day, even though yes, we're negotiating NAFTA, yes. I get it. The reality is, is that Canada has this asset, our ASHRAM project, and we could be a key supplier to the United States for rare earth elements. Absolutely, and, and just as a note, it's not just the United States, but also the European Union, who have identified certain metals as critical, given the fact that they do come from places like the Democratic Republic of Congo or whatever. Again, there's, there, is a, there is a potential threat to the supply chain when there's you know, a few sources of, of, of key metals and, and supplies, so that's... Absolutely, that's and, yeah. and, that, and I'm glad you brought that up, Kevin, yeah. because that was the other executive order, yeah. essentially highlighting the fact that the U.S. government will not countenance the sourcing of these minerals from uh, countries where the production is questionable right. or potentially doesn't abide by the guidelines of the OECD, right. which basically then makes them conflict minerals. Yeah. And you're absolutely correct about the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, which currently is the dominant producer for tantalum, yes. which is what we have in British Columbia. We have a huge resource of tantalum and niobium. So yes, we're looking for upside for both of our projects. Right, right. And, and tantalum, but niobium, I should know this. Because <laughs> actually there's another name for niobium, a columbium, right? Which is the older name for uh, niobium? Yeah, historically, you know, like 50 years ago, uh, no one knew how to separate out tantalum from uh, columbite yes. or columbium. Yes. And so uh, uh, they were both encased in, and, and so niobium was called columbium. Right. But once they separated it, right. they used the names tantalum and niobium. And, uh, and there is that relationship, yes. Right, right. And uh, some recent news is that uh, one uh, company has used niobium in batteries and has found some really astounding results in terms of speed of charging for niobium-based batteries. Right? Absolutely, and that's Toshiba. Yeah. And Toshiba's niobium-titanium battery, yeah. which apparently can be recharged in less than six minutes, wow. is amazing. Right. Now, that brings in another point. Uh, the, the upswing in niobium demand is something that is potentially affecting us very significantly. Yes. But uh, before I address that point, let me just say that there was about six or seven years of global R&D yes. in trying to substitute out rare earth elements, and it was not successful. Right. But the other side is in battery tech, that R&D is still going on. Absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong, I love lithium, cobalt, graphite, but I am very excited by this Toshiba design because of what it might mean for increased niobium demand. Right, right. And again, niobium is one of those things where you have a dominant producer in Brazil, CBMM, uh, and then uh, a couple of other uh, uh, smaller producers. So again, uh, expanding that base of supply will be very critical for the, the growth of new products using these these applications. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we have been working with one of the most significant men in the world in Niobium, who set up the flow sheet for the world's second largest Niobium producer, which is Niobec, Niobec. in Quebec, right. which was sold by IM Gold four years ago for $550 million, right. which if I, if I may allow, uh, or if you will allow me to segue, sure. uh, he's the same man who suggested we joint venture our Niobium 
prospective claims around our ashram rare earth element project in Quebec, okay. and we have just done that. And so we're very excited about having another very friendly company initiating a drilling program to prove up what is potentially a world-class resource of niobium. Wow. This is fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. It sounds like you have some interesting, not just interesting, that's an understatement. I think you're really sort of uniquely positioned. So thank you. Thank you so much, my, Chris. My pleasure. Really great to, to uh, meet you, Kevin. And anytime, uh, I would love to go back and answer any further questions on your podcast. Thank Thanks to Cambridge House, who put together a great Vancouver Resource Investment Conference this year. I wish you all a safe, productive, prosperous week. I'll talk to you soon. Again, if you like this content, please go to my website, moonshotexec.com, to sign up for my email list or subscribe to my podcast. Also, I have links to my social media there, including LinkedIn and Twitter. You can search Moonshot Exec on iTunes and on Google Play to sign up for my podcast. Also, please like my podcast on iTunes and Google Play. This is really helpful. Share it with your friends. As always, go out there and rock it.